Welcome to Beer, Beats, and Business, the business podcast for smart people who appreciate the insights found in a good conversation. That guy sitting at the end of the proverbial bar is your host, David J.P. Fisher, but everyone around here just calls him D-Fish. He's an author, speaker, and business coach. Basically, he's a professional talker. So grab a glass of your favorite beverage, grab a seat, and join us for today's episode. Let's see where the conversation takes us. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another interesting conversation with an interesting person. Today, the role of interesting person is being played by my friend, Tony Lenhart. Tony has completed over 75 fractional sales leadership engagements, working with owners to create an operational rhythm for their sales department. And that word rhythm is so important because he is a partner and sales drummer at SCG, where their farm team model has groomed over 500 salespeople the last seven years. And sales drummer is not just a clever little name. I'm so fired up to have a drummer on the show with me today. Tony, how are you doing? I'm great, man. I'm great. How are you? Oh, as always, living the dream. Uh, we we are going to have a conversation today that uh, is just going to be tough because we can talk beer, we can talk drumming, we can talk music, we can talk sales. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, so everybody buckle up. And before we do that, though, I want to make sure we do say thank you to our sponsors. Our beer sponsor for today is 1090. Uh, they've been kicking off season seven here. And I am drinking Juice God Hazy IPA. And uh, if you're a longtime listener, you know that. IPAs are not usually my my jam, but uh, the last uh, year or so, I've, I'm starting to come over to the hazy IPA, that, that sweet citrusy uh, style, and uh, this is fantastic. So this is from 1090 up in Glenview, Illinois. Cheers, gentlemen and, and ladies up there. Appreciate it. And uh, actually, uh, I, I've got you on the video, Tony. I see that you've got something in your glass, too. What are you, what are you drinking today? I'm, I'm rocking a little Bell's Two-Hearted today. I'm just going right to nice. it. Nice. I uh, I too never used to be an IPA guy until I met my wife, and she went to Western Michigan in Kalamazoo where Bell's. Aha! Uh-huh. So like that was that was her college hangout bar. <laughs> That's and a pretty like, good college hangout bar. Which which just elevated my love for her pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we, we had, had to, to make put a, a ring on that. Yeah, we had to make our pilgrimage to Bell's Brewery because I had never been there. So I'm I continue to be a supporter. I love it. I love it. They make some good stuff. They're Oberon, my, one of my favorite summer beers. Uh, and also, of course, how, how would you find you know a, a brewery near you or your favorite beer? Well, you might go to Google. You might put a, a, a search term in there. Boom. That is SEO, search engine optimization at work. Well, hey, if you are running a business, if you want to be found online, then you should definitely check out our other sponsor for today, Northcut.com. Northcut run by Corey Northcut, a good friend of the show, uh, past guest. But Northcut is uh, an SEO agency that really one of the preeminent SEO agencies, not only in the, the city, but in the world. They do uh, national, international campaigns. If you are interested in making sure that your business is found online, these are definitely the people that you should be talking to. Again, go check out northcut.com and that's two T's. All right. Now that we've gotten the uh, the bills paid and the paperwork out of the way, Tony, here's my question for you. Sales at its core, in my opinion, I think you'd share this opinion with me, is about trust and building trust between you and the person you're trying to, to influence. How do we build trust in a time when we can't necessarily be with that person and meet with them 
you know, in person. We we often have to do it in a digital way. How, how do you build trust digitally? Yeah, man. And I guess maybe a question to ask too is like, what are you losing by not being in person with somebody? What what goes away? Yeah. With that context, is it is it the the feel or the energy you have with somebody in the room? I don't like. I'm still. I've tried to piece that together over this last year of being in lockdown. Um, what's, what's been removed and it is, mm. you know, maybe it is that energy flow that you get going with somebody and the starting and stopping of video calls and zooms and <laughs> bad internet and all the things. I don't know. Right. Um, you know, so I, I always fall back to, and I think it's something I've heard uh, one of your prior guests talk about. I, I fall back to this idea of the trust equation by a guy named Charles Green. Okay. Uh, he wrote a book called the trusted advisor. So it's like, he talks about, you're trying to build credibility reliability and intimacy are your three mm-hmm. kind of numerators, right? And your denominator is <clears throat> the self-orientation of the salesperson, right? right. How, how, am, how, how much am I caring about how my hair looks and how much money I'm going to be making and the words I'm saying versus <laughs> putting the right. spot, my lack of hair uh, uh, versus putting the focus on you. So, you know, building trust digitally, there's, there's a number of things that we could, we could probably dive into on that, but um, I'd say, you know, the first impressions that you're making, you have a lot of different ways to do that now. I mean, think of you right. know, 20 years ago, you had a phone and you had, you could send letters and maybe be in person. And now you have like, I can't even count them, 50 different types of ways to, to put yourself out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I, and I think for a lot of people, it's just, it's become overwhelming with all the different ways and the things you could do to promote and build that trust. For sure. And I love what you point out there. It's like, what are we losing when we're not in person with people? And, and and I do think some people might go, well, you're not losing anything. This is why we can go straight to digital right. uh, and, and we don't ever have to go in person again. I, I don't know if I'm on that. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'm in that camp. I, I, I think part of what we lose is actually something we we can't even codify because there's so much interaction that happens below a conscious level between people. It's kind of why video calls are still better than just a phone call because we can at least see broad facial tone, expression, stuff like that. But it, there's been some some really fascinating research about even just like micro expressions on our face, right? Where there's these, these really quick expressions happening around your eyes and your nose and your mouth that you would you would never know the other person is doing it, but we're just sending all these signals and likewise, I think there's all of these body language cues that we don't even see it, we sense it, right? We're 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 like, wow, this person just pulled away from me a little bit, right? Or their 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 the tenor of their body language just shifted. D- d- does that make sense? Am I? Do you, do you see that? Yeah, absolutely. You do. You do lose that um, over video, and you also think about like for 20 years, I was always in face-to-face sales, right? I worked for ADP. I was knocking on doors. I was yep. always, always face-to-face with people. And so when you're stepping into somebody's environment, um, I think all businesses are usually a mirror image and reflection of that CEO. So when you step <laughs> into sure. their, when you step into their arena, you're not only picking up on cues directly from them, but I mean, down to their waiting room and interacting with other people in their office and the, the vibe and feel of all that, like all that, <clears throat> again, I talked about it before we, we stepped in here about like decontextualization, all that, all that yeah. goes away, all that rich context that helps paint the full picture of 
not only are you trusting them and what you're walking into, but what, um, how are you behaving and reacting in their environment? And all that's gone. Right. I, I used to say back, I mean, when I got my start selling Cutco knives in people's kitchens, I used to say that uh, I, I could look at their refrigerator door and know how to sell them. Right. <laughs> because they're per, to your, kind of your point, their personality was on that door. Like, was it chaos? Was it a bunch of kids pictures? Was it, you know, the, the, the test with the A plus on it? Was it just a bunch of takeout? Hey, was it a bunch of takeout menus? <laughs> if you're selling knives, you're like, all right, they don't cook a lot. So, right, right. I, I, so I think you're, you're totally right. Do how, so how do you recreate that context? I mean, can you, or, you know, what do you, what do you think are ways that we as sales professionals, as business owners, just as, as individuals who are trying to go about our day, how do we recreate at least some of that context when we're trying to engage with someone? Well, one thing I always work with my reps on is um, my salespeople that I coach is the idea of <clears throat> these first impressions. And, you know, when you first think first impression, it's like, okay, that first you know, 15 seconds when you used to shake somebody's hand and walk in a room mm -hmm. and there's a sense. <clears throat> I argue that a first impression, especially in the digital world, it's, it's, it's what do you do before the meeting? What do you do during right. the meeting? And what are you doing as your follow through after that meeting? So I, I view it as a three touch approach to that. Back to okay. the idea of, <clears throat> um, I mentioned three things, credibility, reliability, and intimacy, but that reliability piece is that's doing what you say you're going to do. Yep. Right. That's like the easiest definition, I think, of reliability. Yeah, for sure. um, so as you, whether you get introduced to somebody or it's a cold call and you enter that, like, are you being reliable in your actions and your word and, and doing those things? And then on the intimacy, intimacy standpoint, which is usually uh, a word reserved for like personal relationships, mm -hmm. right? Um, but it's like, how much are you willing to be a little bit of heart on the sleeve and show that transparency? Um, that authenticity almost, right? Just this, who I am is who I am. What you see is what you get, right? Exactly. And so to your question, when, you, when you're digital, I mean, video, of course, is huge. And you're seeing video now, not just in the Zoom sense, but there's all right. these platforms out there, right, to use it in prospecting yep. and in follow-up and sending proposals if you're doing that. Um, so people can get really good a, a, full, a, a full sense of you um, and your style. Um, so that's one thing that I work with reps on is that idea of, hey, this first impression is a very well-rounded thing, even more so and amplified in the digital space. Well, and, and one thing I think was really interesting, you talked about reliability there, and it just made me realize that if you have less touch points, right? So for example, if you're not in person, you don't have all these information points that these data points you're getting right in that in-person conversation, because there's fewer of them the ones that are there are more important. So your ability to say, I'm going to send you an email or I will follow up with you on this day or I will get you this piece of information. And then you, when you do it, be, that, that actually is so much more important because there's not as many data points that they have to build trust with you. You only have so many, like think of a, a sales cycle. I don't know, whatever. Think about how many days it normally takes for you to sell a deal. 30 days, 60, six months, who knows what it is. Well, mm -hmm. there's all that time and stuff going on behind the scenes. And if you've seen any of the stuff that Gartner released last year on the buyer's journey, oh, yeah. I don't know if you like, you know, there's that, they call it like a bowl of spaghetti with all yeah, the yeah, thing, I love you know, that graph. It's, all it's that great. stuff is going everywhere. And all, and, and you only have these little micro 
touch points through the whole thing. Like, mm-hmm. so they'll be doing hours and hours and hours of analysis with competitors and internally and moving parts. And you're trying, you know, to your Sherpa thing, you know, you're trying to guide yeah. that and be there. And man, you even more so have to make those touch points really, really count in a, in a very smart, sophisticated, modern, authentic way. And it's a dance, man. There's, I mean, there's always the, the never ending debate on art versus science and sales. Yeah. And, um, and, and whenever I find there's an ongoing debate that lasts a long time between two things, the answer is usually both. <laughs> right? It's, it's you know, why, why live in an either or world? We're in a both and world, right? Um, <laughs> well, and to go back to that point you made then about authenticity or, or intimacy, and maybe intimacy is a really good word there because what you're really doing is not about, it's not only about sharing yourself, which is I think what we often consider authenticity to be, but it's inviting them to then be authentic with you, right? And, you know, Gartner, and, and I'll have to find the that chart and put it in the show notes. I mean, it's just, it's just wonderfully messy. You know, it's not the linear sales model that I was taught, you know, as a young salesperson 25 years ago, where you build rapport, establish a problem, you know, establish a solution, build urgency, ask for the business, you know, close. <laughs> Right. Um, it is. It's just. It's a dance. I love how you said that. But I think a big part of it is giving them permission and comfort to also at that point go, Tony. Okay, we we, we were just in like three hours of meetings on this. You know, Bill over in, you know the the this this department is an idiot, and I, I just you know, and Susan's like, we really need this. What should we do? Right. This, this, like, I need to move forward on this. Help me. Right. And so, almost in that, that way of inviting them in to say, it's okay to some just level with me and go, help me. It's so powerful, I think. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. That what do they say? You want, you want better, you want better answers, ask better questions. Right. And, right. There's the, the best, I try to get reps to prepare for these meetings. And, and put themselves in the shoes of the customer and what they're feeling and thinking about and their motivations, both personally and professionally. Yeah. And I find that's where a lot of reps just fall down because they've like, ah, I, I've, I've had 500 sales calls. I know what I'm doing. And they, they wing it without really diving in and doing the pre-work, which sounds a little cliche. And it's some, it's such a simple best practice and discipline of salespeople, the best and ones nobody that I does, see. Nobody does nobody it. Does it. <laughs> nobody does like, it. I know. And I, be, I, I beat him over the head with it. So I think that's one way is like, again, doing the pre-work to know what, what questions can I peel into and dig into here. Um, and also, you know, um, almost one way I invite, maybe invite people in to your earlier point is that transparency of like being able to say like, Hey, here's what's almost telling them instead of like, Hey, here's what I do. And who's, here's who benefits is almost telling them like, here's, what's not a good fit. And here's like right. showing them when it's not, I don't know, just being upfront about when it's not a good fit or what you're not good at versus what you're great at. That, that goes to some, something that's, um, that you just made me think of when you're in the, this linear world and we both, I like to think we both come from, you know, let's say old school, you know, street ball of sales, right? I mean, we were out there getting, trying, knocking on doors, sometimes quite literally trying to get numbers. It was very much an activity driven game where in some ways we've, we've had an evolution where I'd rather have a salesperson that I'm coaching maybe do a few less 
outreaches, but do better ones or do better prepared ones. Kind of in what you're saying there about this idea, like be okay with saying we're not a good fit. I mean, that's anathema to, <laughs> to your average sales manager who's like, no, we're fit for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that works in today's world. <laughs> um, well, because I think I think the, one of the biggest sins of salespeople too, and I'll raise my hand on it, is you get happy years. I mean, how many times do you coach reps and you're like, how'd the meeting go? And they're like, great. And it's like, why, 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 why what was so great about it? What's the do, 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 do you have the signed contract? Okay, that <laughs> yeah. wasn't great. You know? yeah. um, oh my God, where was I going with that thought of just, you know, we get, we get happy years uh, yeah. as, as salespeople. Um, Cause I think we're not asking maybe the uncomfortable or difficult questions or saying those things that might talk, you know, either talk ourselves out of a deal or, uh, scare people away. And um, man, I, I think salespeople would have happier jobs if they could focus on, you know, fewer prospects that are better qualified. And to your point, they're better prepared and they're having better conversations. And it, it makes right. the whole experience a lot more enjoyable for everybody. I, I, I'm in agreement. I think it's really scary for people, um, especially in organizations where you have really experienced sales leadership. Because they are, they they came up in a world where it was a numbers game, where you didn't have to be transparent, where the internet didn't allow, you know, a prospect or client to go and rate you. I mean, you talked about you know pre pre work. I mean, a lot of the 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 work I do with organizations is around LinkedIn, and it's all about saying, hey, they're going to look at this before they ever talk to you, right? Before they decide whether or not they should talk to you. So I I think. You know, it's 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 important to remember that there is going to be this very human and understandable resistance to that idea. Uh, but I think you're right. Salespeople would be a lot happier. I think prospect prospects would be happier. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but I, I love and, and this is definitely in quotes all of the the prospecting messages that I get because technically I run a business, but it's not a big business. But I get all these people offering me services. I'm like, dude, the I'm in your I'm in your pipeline and I am not the person that you want to sell to. Yeah, I will did you never even, buy. Did you even look at my website? Like, do you have any idea what's going on right now? <laughs> I, I actually I just got one today where it was somebody pitching me uh, a paid. Uh, they're like, "We'll pay you to have a guest post uh, on your blog." That sounds great. I've got over 400 articles on my blog and I've never had one guest post. You could figure that out in about three seconds. But no, you're just blasting me. So of course, then I feel bad about that, you know. Yeah, well, and we talked about you know those three components. We talked about it. Like there's, I was talking about reliability, and intimacy, and the credibility standpoint. That digital footprint, and back to your point around digital trust and all this oh. varying communication platforms, like that path that you've left. I I I try to drive people to LinkedIn. I mean, I tell people like, I don't own TonyLenhart.com. You probably mm-hmm. own DavidFisher.com. I need, I should David own it. David J.P. Fisher, I do. There, yeah. yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, I don't, I should, but it's, the, the replacement of that is my LinkedIn profile. I say people, yeah. unless you've done something like amazing or really bad, your LinkedIn profile <laughs> is going to be like the first or second thing, unless you're yep. like, or your name's Joe Smith, right? Like something very generic. Yep. So you need to own that space because if somebody just remotely Googles your name, if you don't have any type of a, a, a backlog there of, you know, what do you want to call it? Quote unquote thought leadership or an opinion or a voice or a stance, um, you're, you're losing out on that chance to build some credibility 
right. leading into that first impression and that overarching first impression I was talking about. Yeah, no, I think I think that's huge, and it's always great to hear somebody else besides me say that because sometimes I'm, you know, I feel like I'm banging the the pot, going, "Dude, come on! If I Google your name, what am I going to find?" I always tell the story how my my third, I think it was my third date with my wife. She sat down and was like, "I Googled you," and I was like, "Oh crap!" You know, <laughs> you did that? Wait, what did she find? Okay, what did she? I think I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. And then she's like. Yeah. She's like, you write a lot about sales and stuff. I'm like, yeah, okay, good. You found my blog. That's cool. <laughs> There's nothing untoward there. I, I, we got to start talking about beer and music here, but one, one other question. So you, I've been thinking about this a lot and I'm curious what your perspective is. There are so many communication channels that we have available to us and, and there's just more over and over uh, or uh, they just more and more come down the line. What do you tell someone as in, as far as here's how to decide which tools to use? Like what, what would your coaching be for somebody who's like, I don't know, do I call them, email them, send, you know, send them a LinkedIn message, do a video. Like there, I'm just curious what you, what your perspective on that is. Well, of course, a huge variable is what type of industry and, and title that you're you're calling on. There's plenty sure. of data that shows that blended combination of mediums or, or media, mm. right? Of yep. Email, phone call, LinkedIn, and help, you know, direct mail. You're seeing what's old is new again. Right. Um, so, you know, the, the handwritten letter approach and things like that. Um, I, you know, the, the business that I'm a, I'm a part of at SCG, again, we groom up all these young sales reps and they set, I don't know, 100 meetings a week combined with all these different reps. And 75% of them, it's still, they're getting people on the phone. People are still picking up. And that's where I feel like the true action happens. I mean, we do our mm-hmm. best to craft really powerful emails and get those reply rates. Right. But I, the, the action to me and the real, the, the meaningful conversations happen when, when you're picking up the phone. Cool. Um, so I, I still always go back to that. And to your point, we're around the same age. We had like the analog childhood and the digital adulthood. <laughs> right, right. I still remember uh, Oregon Trail coming to my school and being like, whoa, <laughs> this is amazing. Right. So I, I think we have an a, a appreciation of both. And, you know, just at the, at the, in 2021, where are you with people that are in the decision-making seats uh, mm-hmm. are probably pretty similar. Analog yeah. childhood, this digital adulthood. So there's an appreciation when you can get somebody on the phone, you can have a good conversation, you can respect their time. I, I still love to see and coach reps to pick up the phone and learn how to, um, you know, get to it and, and dive in. I love that. Well, and and to bring it full circle, having all of the other channels preps it right. It may it's 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 that email they got and then that LinkedIn note and then they pick up the phone and they're like, oh, I recognize that name. You know, I, I go back right. to when I was a recruiter. Um, recruiting college kids to sell knives. And we, we call it the, the, the God told me to come, uh, come in story because you'd have, it was, you know, kind of a joke, but a kid would come in and say, Hey, I got, I got your letter at my house. I saw you uh, had a booth at my school. I saw two newspaper ads. I saw, saw a chalkboard in one of my classrooms. Somebody handed me a flyer. 
Uh, and then I, you know, I saw a sign on the side of the road, God, God, God must be telling me to come work here. You know? <laughs> so which one of those is what did it? I mean, it's, it's all of them, right? Yeah. And it's, and it ties again. I keep going back to this trust equation, but it just is you've through all those things, you built credibility because you were out yeah. there. You had a voice, reliability. Man, this guy's doing it. He's there. And you this intimacy level of how they absorb those different touch points and what, what it meant to them. No, I love that. I think that's absolutely right. So so the question is, how is that Bells going down today? Uh, pretty smooth, man. I'm going to give myself a little topper here, actually. <laughs> <laughs> now, is there, too, is there too hard in your favorite or... Are, you, well, uh, like where, where do you tend to go? When, when I when I graduated Purdue, I moved to Chicago, and you know it was the there was always the Oberon release parties at like School oh, yeah. Tavern and Sheffields and yep. places like that. And man, I just it hits a spot in my heart. And as you know, like I don't know what was it five six years ago, Bells you couldn't get it in Chicago, right? Land, right? right? They just they just yanked out some weird branding thing going on or whatever. But yeah, it was just gone. Yeah. So I still go back to Oberon. Their last couple of years have been really solid, but I mean, two hearted, you know, they've been, they've all sorts of awards around best beer and right? absolutely. Well, um, and if, to me, Oberon tastes like summer now. Like I basically have just a few summer beers. It's Miller high life when I'm barbecuing and it's super hot. <laughs> I'm oh. not saying it's great beer, but I love it. Uh, maybe, maybe a Schlitz that's, you know, I'm, I'm from Milwaukee. So that's, you know, my, my crappy beers have to be from Milwaukee, <laughs> but then, but Oberon, oh man, just that in a, I, I, you can still get the, like, now you can get the, the little mini kegs. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I don't know, maybe yeah, like well, 64 my, ounces or something, but it's so right. delicious. Well, my old man, um, the reason I play drums, I'm transitioning here a little bit. The, the reason he played in a polka band. My dad, my like legit, like they had three albums, <laughs> gigged out 150 nights a year. Like they were legit. So I'd go and sit on the side of the stage and watch my old man play. But over all of his drum gear and cases, he had PBR stickers. He had the old PBR oh, guy. Remember he had like a barbell mustache yep, yep, and he yep. was wearing like a onesie or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird logo. It was the seventies. Everything yeah. went. Right. Um, so we always had either PBR in the fridge or one of my dad's favorite, Old Milwaukee Light. You know, oh, he'd be like, this is go. the best beer. It's the best beer. I don't know if you can even get it anymore. <laughs> I don't think so. Well, I, I think I've even shared this on the podcast before, but I always th- thought it funny when PBR became like the hipster beer of choice. <laughs> it was really cool. Because, right. you know, it was, you know, back when I was a little younger, so I was going out a lot in the city and you know, that's the beer that my dad, my grandpa, all my uncles, like Saturday afternoon, you know, it was my job to go in and I could, I can still see where in my grandma's refrigerator, you know, underneath the cold cut drawer, that's where they had all the cans, you know, on their sides. And it was like, go get me, go get us another, be- another beer. And that, that's PBR wasn't cool. It was just, this is Milwaukee in, you know, late, late 70, early 80s. That's what you drank. Yeah. There was a bar in Bucktown. I remember it. It was like a $3 grab it. And you just reached your hand down into this container of ice and you either pulled out like a PBR or a Schlitz or a Hams. Oh, God. <laughs> I ha- Hams has been making a comeback. And I will say this in the summer, if you get a 12 ounce can, like places will have it this is before my my kid came around i could go to bars a little more uh and we could go out in person right. of before covid came around sure. before covid it will we will get there again but uh there's like you get a 12 ounce hams for a dollar and i will say this as long as you drink it immediately <laughs> while it's still cold it was delicious <laughs> the moment it got even a little warm you're like oh okay oh my god 
not, I'm going to stay away from that. So, <laughs> so if you, if your dad was a polka drummer, so you, you can do four, four, like nobody's business is what you're oh, telling man. me. That's All like in your jeans. Yes. Yes. <laughs> built in metronome built. In, and I still have, I still have my dad's old Slingerland drum kit that he played back in the day. It said that they made in Niles, Niles, Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, uh, I had a, uh, hat and actually still have in the basement, not being play right now, but an old Slingerland kit. That was my first drum set paid for it with, uh, with paper out money. And, uh, cause my awesome. parents said, you can play the drums if you can buy them. I'm like, all right. <laughs> they regretted those words. <laughs> <laughs> they had no idea. That's the reason you're a, you're a sales guy now. You're like, I'm going to hustle and get my drum kit. Maybe that's what spurred the whole thing. Absolutely. But man, that was, it, th- th- those were great kits. I mean, they don't make them like that anymore. Now, what, what kind of, so when you did get into, to playing, like, did you start early or, I mean, was this like. Absolutely. Something I mean, fifth, fifth, okay. fifth grade was the first time I could actually be formal band, of course. But we always, again, had the, he left the drum kit yeah. set up in the basement. But then high school, jazz band, pep band, concert band. And when I moved to the city, I I, I was like, oh, I'm moving to Chicago. There's going to be so many drummers. Like, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to be able to find a place to play. And so finally, when I moved my kit to the city, I posted on Craigslist. I think it was Craigslist. And I was like, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm a drummer. I Here's the bands I like. And no shit within 48 hours i probably got 30 emails of people looking for drummers every genre you can imagine from country to metal oh yeah and i found out there wasn't a shortage of drummers there was a shortage of reliable drummers <laughs> that, like, to say, good drummers that did <laughs> suck and showed up right had a working car you know didn't yep. have to skip practice because they were delivering pizzas and they didn't live in their parents basement or something i yep. don't know but i was shocked so I, I gigged out. Are hard to find. I gigged out in the city for you know twelve years before I became a suburban dad. But I'm still I'm still playing today. I play in a, I play in like a kind of a progressive bluegrass band today. That's um, awesome. And uh, we'll maybe we'll put that in the show notes. Absolutely, yeah. Any recordings? Any live streams? Yeah, for sure. That's fantastic. I I, I so miss playing, but it's funny because. My, you know, I played in, in the same band for, geez, uh, you know, 10, 10, 11 years. So quite a while. And, uh, and then I was, you know, was not playing music for a while and I got used to like having my life back. <laughs> and, and, and when I started dating my now wife, she was like, you should totally get in a band again. She was like the opposite of the Yoko. She was like, you should totally get in a band again. And I looked at her, I said, here's the reality, being in a band and, and you know, like, I like big horn sections and like old soul. And I think you, you like soul and funk too. So like, those are big bands. Those are like six, seven, eight, ten people. I'm like, the, the best description I've ever heard of being in a band is that it's like being married to, you know, eight people and there's no makeup sex. <laughs> So eventually you just get super irritated with yeah, each other. Right. You get fed up a little bit of ego drive and some other things. Yeah. yeah. So so I was like, I, I miss it. And it may be someday, but I'm, I'm pretty cool with just having my kit set up in the basement and jamming out. I, I practice every Wednesday and I, I have a couple kiddos at home. I have a seven and three-year-old little girls. And uh, they we have a music room where the drums are set up and they love it. And it's nice. awesome, but that's why it's great. But none of the guys in the band have kids, so like one's about to have his first kid, and I'm like, thank God, you start to understand, you know, the <laughs> the different roles that we play in our lives, you know, and how do you prioritize that stuff? 
Right, right. I, I married like, a cool <laughs> wife too, so she, she gets it. It feeds my soul. Because before we were recording, we were talking a bit. Any uh, any uh, old solar funk that you've been been digging on lately? Um, there's a group you might be familiar with called the New Master Sounds. Oh yeah. Oh man, I I haven't, I haven't I'm not an old school fan of theirs, but something I, I use Spotify for all my music. Yep. Um, and one of their songs popped up in like my, my weekly mix and, oh man, I've just been, I've been super hooked on them and what they're, what they're doing. So new master sounds is a good one. So good. Do you know the bamboos? No. Well, so, so master sounds are fantastic. Uh, If you dig them two that I'll suggest and to everybody else, uh, we'll put some of the music in the notes as well. Uh, the bamboos who are out of Australia, um, and the dap tones. If you ever heard, you know, dap tones, I mean, they were fantastic. But, but okay. So you know them, but the bamboos are kind of in that same ethos of like bringing back, I mean, cause these aren't, they're not truly old school. I mean, they, they were started in the early two thousands, but like they were all recording on vintage sixties equipment oh, and really? you know, okay. they just wanted to get that sound. It was so, it's such, such good stuff. So that's great. Yeah. And like modern ones, there's certainly like, like St. Paul and the broken bones. Mm-hmm. They got a rich horn section and, and soul feel to it. You know, and the lead singer, the, the, the guy, St. Paul, whatever his real name is, he used to be a bank teller. And like now he's like doing like he, the voice that comes out of him is like it's just ancient. Yep. He's just this short little bald guy that used to be a bank teller. And he just I did rips. not know that. That's so that's good. even better now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and he dances around stage in glitter shoes and a cape. And I mean, I saw, I got to see him right before everything happened with the pandemic, and it was just a great show. Oh, so cool. Awesome. Okay, I'm gonna actually stop us right here because if I don't, we're gonna go for another half hour, and I think we're gonna enjoy that conversation. But you know, I don't want to. I, listen, dear listener, thank you for sticking around. But yes, I, yes. You know, at one and a half we, speed, thank you so much. Yes, yes. We won't subject <laughs> you to, to too much more. Um, hey, this this has been a blast, as I knew it would be. Uh, what's the best way for somebody to continue the conversation with you if they wanted to? Yeah, thanks, D Fish. I um, of course LinkedIn. I'm a fan of as well. You can find me there under the Sales Drummer moniker. Um, yep. And I and I'll also include. Um, you know, I do a monthly newsletter. I've been doing for over ten years called Sales Drummer. Um, that we can put a link to that if people would be interested. Which is just a mix of everything we've been talking about here. I'm, yep. I'm kind of a bourbon guy uh, in addition to beer, but I talk about music. I talk about sales. I talk a little bit. Uh, of alcohol and it's hopefully something that you would enjoy that hits your inbox. The the perfect mix. And I am on that list and I will definitely say that uh, you should get on it. It's, it's, it's worth, worth that once a month bump of uh, sales drumming in, in bourbon. <laughs> um, and, you know, Tony, I always ask my guests at the end of our, our conversation, if you had to give somebody a tip to help them have a better day today, what would that tip be? My tip would be to turn on your favorite tune and drum on anything that's close to you, the counter, your steering wheel, preferably, uh, and just have a good rocking session and uh, bang out something that, that feels good. I love it. I, I do that anyway. So now I'm just going to tell my wife that this that you're you're the reason why I'm doing it. I'm, I'm going to throw you under the bus. Yeah, maybe put on some headphones. <laughs> that, that might be a good idea. Uh, well, awesome. Tony, it's, it's been great chatting with you. And everybody, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. If you enjoyed it, definitely would appreciate a uh, you know a like, uh, review, a rating, all that stuff. You've probably heard it from everybody all the time, but it really does help uh, those of us who are making stuff like this and putting it into the world. It helps us get found, and uh, that's uh, 
pretty important in this noisy world as uh, Tony and I were talking about today. And uh, if you if you have a friend who you think would enjoy these conversations, of course, the best way to find out about a podcast is from somebody you know. So do me a favor and uh, tell that person about us. And also, if you do have anything you want to tell me, reach out to me on Twitter, dfishrockstar. Would love to uh, have a conversation with you. And, and truly, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you as well to our sponsors, 1090. I am almost finished with my uh, Juice God Hazy IPA. It's been delicious. And thank you as well to Northcut.com. Uh, there's two T's in Northcut. And uh, everybody, uh, we'll save a spot next uh, next to me at the bar. Next, Save a spot next. Well, you know what? Sometimes I'm not as slick as I think I am. So we'll see you next time on Beer Beats and Business. Belly up. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for stopping by. You can find show notes and links in this episode at beerbeatsandbusiness.com. We all know the best way to find out about a new podcast is through our friends. So please help us out and share what we're doing through social media or just tell someone. And if you could do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes or Stitcher, that would be great. Want to get in on the conversation? Send DFish a message on Twitter at DFishRockstar. And we'll save a spot for you at the bar for the next Beer, Beats, and Business.